Hey everybody and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, welcome. This is the show where we talk about all things athletic related, whether you know it's how to improve your endurance or fitness, how to stay injury free, or how to do something really weird like you know skateboard as an adult, or in recent weeks, swim run. Uh, which is one of the weirdest sports ever. Uh, I'm Molly Hereford. I'm an author. I write about all things kind of fitness and outdoorsy and nutritionally related. And I have a few books out. And yeah, I basically do all of the outdoorsy things as well. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a kinesiologist, which is basically the study of human movement. Um, So mostly I work with endurance athletes, but uh, increasingly more and more people just in the gym in Collingwood. Uh, called Active Life uh, Conditioning. So if you're ever up in Ontario's mountain town, we'd love to have you in and whatever that's for, whether that's, you know, work on your, your bike fitness or, or bike fitting or, you know, just your movement off bike. So this podcast is really sort of the merger of, you know, Molly's interest in writing about and doing things and sort of my, my interest in helping people move better and, and do yeah. things. Yeah. And so right now we're in sort of this this shoulder season, this early winter season where, People are being challenged, perhaps, on what sports they're doing or transitioning to new sports, their off-season sports. So it's, it's a great consummate athlete time. Uh, so yeah, so we've been in Belgium uh, and, and surrounding countries uh, in Europe. And so there's been a crazy snowstorm and slush storm over the last week. So we've been challenged to, to move around. How have you been dealing with that? Uh, complaining, mostly. Uh Seriously, though, we we found we talked about this last week, but we found a sweet agility course pretty near the house. So we've been running and doing that. And the ground luckily drains pretty well here. It's sandy. So you don't have as much mud. You just have more standing water when it hasn't drained. So luckily you can kind of run and you get wet, but you don't get stuck in the mud as much. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of us could, you know, maybe look out of our normal routine or, or how we do things to you know, keep moving, but in a, you know, a different spot, you know, this is a sandier soil, certainly other areas close to us aren't sandy, they're just mud pits. Yeah, so I think, I mean, even just instead of doing an hour run, we're doing an hour, but like half of it is on the agility course, so it's a lot more body weight and full body, crazy stuff like that, and that sort of just saves feeling like crap running through slush the entire time sure Uh, we've been i've been very excited i bought rain pants last week and i literally have just worn them for like the last 36 hours for all outdoor activities and guys it turns out rain pants are like a game changer suddenly i didn't mind being outside and being in the cold all weekend especially at we're at over ice which is the mother of all crosses a cyclocross race here in belgium uh, freezing cold, it snowed, it was ridiculous, and I was totally fine compared to the day before when I just wore leggings and complained yeah, a lot. It was, it was an epic weekend. It was pretty cool. I got to do a lot of mechanical practice. I am apprenticing as a mechanic here, so uh, it was it was really good. Full-on Belgian, you know, in the heart of Belgium, big cross race, chaotic. They had the, the pit where they can come in for mechanical assistance. Twice a lap was in a forest with like these roots and it wasn't, you know, regulation width. It was sort of curvy. So it was just super or even more hectic than it that usually is. So. Yeah. What's the craziest thing you've seen in the Belgian pits? Uh, I don't know. Like there's just random like people smoking and like, I don't, I haven't seen anyone hit anyone, but the, like mechanics will sometimes get in fights over the pressure washers because while the rider's doing a lap, they have to go and wash the other bike. But there's inevitably like five to six washers one sort of sucks one breaks you know and there's you know potentially not a hundred people but there could be 50 riders in the race all with their own set of mechanics Mm -hmm. um so i mean you could very easily have 50 people fighting for four washers so i've seen some good like turn around and spray the guy beside you because he like got water on you or or he was lifting you or something like that that's amazing yeah, it's pretty odd, but for the most part, there's a lot of really, I've really enjoyed, there's some really good people, really good mechanics and stuff to sort of hang out with, so it's been it's been really good fun, but definitely the clothing, like the Sunday that Molly's talking about, it was snowing and then raining, and we were in these trees that were then like dropping the snow and the wet on us, so I had to change brake pads, and it was like freezing, zero degrees for people in the Celsius system, 32 yep. for Fahrenheit, and so at that like horrible juncture where if you're wet, you basically are ruined. 
And yeah, with the waterproof stuff I had, like I was cold and like being distracted by water, like pouring on me basically like out of a bucket, but it felt like really good training for Mm -hmm. my mechanical skill. So eventually got pads flipped over and finished, finished the race. So that was good. Yeah. So I'm going to just kind of segue really awkwardly into today's guest who you've known for a long time i've known for uh, i've known of him for a while and known him for about a year now uh kevin jardine so do you want to kind of explain what kevin's up to sure kevin's basically uh and we talked about this he you know he is a chiropractor he's a doc he has a doctorate uh in that a phd um but it doesn't really define who he is no. uh, i think a- any of the clients or molly i've sent there as well and i've had like he's just amazing uh like his bedside manner, his his confidence, the confidence he gives you, not that he's, he's necessarily cocky, but that he, he helps you through the process, which I think more and more we're understanding that like how that professional, how that practitioner interacts with you is, is almost as important in some cases, at least, if not all cases, as, as the, you know, the modality, the, you know, hands-on therapy that they might do. Um, so yeah, he's just really smart guy. And personally, he's done so much stuff, um, you know he's he's always he's in a master's program right now for like sports psychology. Uh, he's always learning and he's done Ironman. He's done a bunch of mountain running. He's really into obstacle course racing. And he's worked with a ton of super super high profile athletes. Yeah, like tour. He's been in the Tour de France several times. Like he's helped people. You know, in in high level tennis, like pro level tennis. Um, yeah, all sorts of different sports. So. so he's got a ton of stories. He's got a ton of advice that like he's realized has trickled down from his work with the high performance people because ultimately it's all the same, just at different levels of how intensely you take advice, I think. Yeah. So he's, yeah, so he's got a feeling pretty remarkable is his, his website and they're sort of going through a, a redo right now. They were using an app for, they had like a low back and knee pain program that I thought was really, really good, but uh, they're sort of rebranding it so that it's more open to people to use, you know, uh, in any, not just on smartphones, I guess. So any uh, media device or whatever is going to be more video based uh, website. Uh, so there, if you watch that, if you're interested in sort of this like anywhere core or, you know, some sort of daily back pain sort of movement thing, I think there's going to be some really good resources there. So we'll definitely tweet that out and, and add it to these show notes. It might not be there when you first listen to this, but if you're, you know, into 2018 and beyond, then hopefully we have that link for you. So, uh, yeah. Is there anything other? No, I think that's about it. I think... Kevin is probably one of the smartest guys I know. And like you said, his bedside manner is, yeah, among the most reassuring. And I've been to a lot of chiropractors and ther- like physical therapists, massage therapists, everything. And I walked out of there. He hadn't even really done that much when I went in to consult with him. And I walked out feeling a million times better. So I think he's just a really great resource for athletes of pretty much any level. So let's hear some of his best advice. Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're here with Dr. Kevin Jardine. Uh, so first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And and you're a chiropractor, but that does not nearly define you. So these days, how is Kevin Jardine defining himself? And, and when, when you're in the elevator or you're starting one of these talks or you're traveling worldwide, who is Kevin Jardine? I think it's got to be a really long elevator ride. <laughs> It would have to be, you know, my attention span has typically been defined as that of an amoeba, but uh, it's driven me in lots of different areas to pursue education, mainly around my passion towards health and human performance. And part of that journey has you know, brought me into the chiropractic world, but I've also extended it beyond that into you know, other aspects of conditioning and performance psychology and, and nutrition and I'm continually learning and trying to develop my skills, mainly centered around how well I can serve others in their, in their, their desire and their journey to live life at their best. And that's how I would describe myself, somebody that is a, a performanceologist, you know, and I really just <laughs> love, love everything about performance and how to help people get the most out of life. I love that, and I'm, I'm so interested. So can you kind of do like a brief... I guess, version of your academic path to all of this stuff? Sure. 
you know, my undergrad started uh, in a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology, which I absolutely loved. Uh, and that was very refreshing for me, having come from a, you know, a less than stellar high school career. But <laughs> I, loved, I loved university and I loved everything to do with science and biomechanics and physiology. I really hit my sweet spot. And then I went into athletic therapy. And I had a desire to learn more about not only how the body functions at its best, but why does it break down? And that led me into athletic therapy. And from there, you know, the my path was really going to go towards traditional medicine. And then as I was racing mountain bikes, I had hurt my, my back. And I had gone to a number of physical therapists to try to get some resolution with that. And it wasn't helping. And I was working with a, a couple of people at the time at Purelator Courier, and they kept telling me to go see this chiropractor guy. And I had all of these misconceptions around chiropractic, and there was no way I was going to go to one of those quack guys. And <laughs> they, they, they crack my back, and I'm going to have to go back every week for the rest of my life. But ultimately, not being able to get on my bike and not even being able to get through a day without back pain uh, ultimately drove me to going to see this guy. And he's the first practitioner that really put his hands on me and started to move me around. And, and really, without me even telling him, uh, he would start to you know, pinpoint these areas where I was, I was having a lot of discomfort. And that was quite impressive in and of itself. And as I went to see him, you know, I, I started to see results getting better where I wasn't before. And I was doing all the homework that I was supposed to, uh, but I wasn't getting better. But now with, with this type of new intervention, uh, with what he was doing with some muscle work and some, some adjustments to, to my, my spine and my hips, I was feeling much better. And through that interaction, he started to talk to me about what I was going to do career-wise. I told him medicine, and, and he gave me a couple of sports chiropractic books and and suggested that I take a look and it opened up a whole new world for me and that you know chiropractic before that really was something that I thought was just the spine and I didn't realize it had all of these other areas that I could explore and then basically he you know he summed it up as you know you could pursue a career dealing with relatively healthy people trying to get even healthier and get them out of pain and deal with the structure and function and physicality of the body or you could go to traditional medicine and probably end up looking at runny noses and sore throats for the rest of your career. <laughs> so when he put it that way, it really, uh, you know, kind of helped me move towards chiropractic. And I applied a month late for application process. But I think a combination of my athletic therapy background and my grades uh, allowed me to get in. And then I moved to Toronto, went to chiropractic college. Uh, and that really laid the foundation for understanding the body from a much more medical and scientific perspective. And I continued to pursue education in in what I was doing in rehabilitation and conditioning. Uh, I pursued more education in, in getting a, a doctorate in acupuncture or medical acupuncture at McMaster. I started to develop products and also developed a continuing education business where I would train and educate other healthcare and fitness professionals. Uh, I did a lot of advanced standing courses for things like nutrition and functional medicine. And currently I'm, I'm doing a, um, another master's for um, uh, performance psychology. So that's adding a, a whole different dimension, uh, formalized education around an area that I have an immense interest in, and passion. And I just continue to learn and take courses and, and really invest in, in, uh, in that area of, of my life. When do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's my, that's my academic life. I mean, it, when I tell people my entrepreneurial kind of career, having built and, and sold, you know, uh, built six different companies and, and recently uh, sold four uh, then people really ask me if I ever sleep. And the answer is yes, I do sleep. And I <laughs> prioritize sleep because sleep is so essentially important for uh, 
the success of an individual's life, not just from a health perspective, but in getting stuff done and making good decisions in their day. So I prioritize sleep and I, you know, I have two young girls who now put me to bed at night. I go to bed typically at 9 p.m. at night and I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning and I never waver on that. And it's, it's that type of discipline and schedule and routine that has really given me uh, superpowers to get a lot of things done. And there's no magic on it. I'm not, I'm not gifted with any other attributes, you know, as far as intelligence and memory. It's really just a combination of, of knowing where I want to go and putting together a daily routine that allows me to get one step closer to that every single day. Where did you go to, for your undergraduate, Kevin? I went to UMB, University of New Brunswick, back in Fredericton, Fredericton, New Brunswick. And is that that's where you grew up too? It is. I I was born just outside of of Halifax in a place called Mount Uniac, which all of the locals call Mount Maniac. Right. And we grew up very humble beginnings. You know, no indoor plumbing, no. No electric heating. I remember even when I was younger, going back to visit my grandmother, having to wake up in the middle of the night and put logs on the wood stove just so there would be heat in the morning. Right. And then having to, having to use the washroom in a, in a bedpan at night because you couldn't go outside, obviously, uh, at night, especially in the winter. Things that, you know, obviously are foreign today to most people, but it was a part of my upbringing. And then we moved to Fredericton, New Brunswick, uh, my, you know, my, my academic life at that point wasn't great. I didn't love the authoritarian approach of school. I, I was very aggressive, I would say, as a young kid. I, I quite enjoyed getting in a lot of fights. I never picked a fight, but I always found a way to get in <laughs> one. And it, it seemed to be, for me, the, the, the sport of natural talent for me. I... I I just seemed to be able to slow time down and it was, I know how, you know, obviously it's not a socially acceptable thing, but I used to get in a lot of fights and I used to enjoy them. And in fact, that's the reason I went to university. I got in a lot of trouble getting into a fight and a part of the, the court order kind of um, resolution was that I would move home with my parents and I would go to university and that, that's how I went to university. It's wow. a pretty good punishment. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty good. I'm a very lucky guy that way. I mean, there's there's lots of things along my my journey in life where um, those types of small little pivots have really changed the course of my life. I mean, I'm the only I'm the only kid in my family tree that that ended up going to university. So it was a big it was a big step. Yeah. So with the fighting, did you ever get into boxing or martial arts or UFC or anything to channel that? No. Uh, luckily, the UFC was not where it is now when I was young. If mm -hmm. it was, I honestly, I know this sounds like the most arrogant thing in the world, and people will probably hate to hear this, but I would, I, I would have, I would have, I would have put every, every ounce of every cell I had in my body into that and I, I would have I would have done everything in my power to be a champion in that sport and I think I would have had a really good chance because it, it was one of those things where fighting and different martial arts and boxing they seemed to come very naturally for me whereas you know other sports that I was involved in whether it was mountain biking or or hockey you know it was always a struggle like I had to work at it where there was other people that I would I would go out there and do that with like I learned how to mountain bike with Trevor Porter, who was four-time downhill Canadian champion. I mean, that guy, his bike is an extension of his spirit. For me, it was always, I always had to work it aggressively. But with fighting, it never seemed to be that way for me. It was always much easier. I never got nervous. It just seemed to flow. And, uh, and luckily, the UFC wasn't around because obviously, um, those careers are, are very short. They're very challenged with things like brain trauma and things like that that I don't agree with and that I'm, I'm glad that I did not go down that path. Mm -hmm. 
I, I can still picture it, though. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could definitely picture it, but... It's probably no. better. Yeah, you're probably better off yeah. this way. Like, <laughs> I'm it, way better off. I it mean, would have been I, glorious I a for a little while, but you've got that <laughs> long-term game going now. But on yeah, the note of absolutely. athletics, though, let's let's hear about your athletic background because it you know looking at everything that you do, you're you're pretty much in the consummate athlete uh, sphere. Yeah, yeah. Well, athletics and physicality for me is uh, it's it's basically the nucleus of my of my existence. My spirit is heavily driven from physicality, whether it's in my pursuit of meditative aspects, I use movement for that. I need to be moving. Uh, my wife calls it feeding the beast. You know, she knows when I haven't gone and done something challenging, you know, tackled a big physical feat. Um, so she encourages me to go do it. So it's always been a part of my life. It's always been the area where I can see things physically. I can learn different sports uh, relatively quickly, whereas you know, I couldn't tell you one name of one song or recite one verse or I don't know anything about art or anything else. I mean, my life is really centered around that component of health and, and performance. And I would consider myself, as far as an athletic label uh, would be concerned, I would consider myself an athletic adventurist. I love and that. What I mean by that, yeah, what I mean by that is I like to do a lot of different things. I get bored very easily. And it has robbed me, yes, of the ability to go deep on one thing and focus on it and become really good at it. But I've come to terms now with the fact that that's not my journey. My journey is to be good at a lot of different things. So I go, I go mountaineering. I love alpine mountaineering. I love mountain biking. I love trail running. I love, you know, sea kayaking. You know, anything where I'm outdoors and I'm exerting myself, I absolutely am in a state of utter bliss. And those things are now things that I'm starting to have the, the time and the ability to go do more and more. So, you know, honestly, my, my life's never been better. And uh, a large part of that is because I get to go and challenge myself physically. And in fact, you know, part of my, part of my MO you know, as far as whether or not it was going and doing an Ironman or, you know, running the Grand Canyon rim to rim, I would typically pick a new challenge and then I would really try to learn and consume everything I could about that particular thing. And then I'd move on to a new one. So I, it would really add to another thing that I have an immense passion for, which is learning, right? Uh, you know, when I got into, when I got into doing uh, an Ironman race, I had never run a marathon before i had never done a triathlon before and i didn't even know how to front crawl swim eight months before doing lake placid ironman <laughs> so i was in a very steep learning curve and in fact i never even attempted to do a triathlon even a sprint triathlon to test it out my very first triathlon was lake placid ironman and that's typically my mo that's how i that's how I roll. And I've now, I've now evolved one of my businesses, my passion business, uh, which is called Feeling Pretty Remarkable. I've evolved a component of Feeling Pretty Remarkable in that I offer what are called growth petitions. So the combination of growth and personal development with adventure. So you get the opportunity to challenge yourself physically and mentally while, while pursuing learning and growth so that you can be better. And that's really, you know, that's for me combining two of my most intense passions. That's awesome. And we'll, we'll definitely link to, to that website as well. We have those, those links. Um, it's funny how much that's exactly like Peter's Iron Man. Yeah, I feel like I dropped the ball. So I did very similar to you. Uh, and we did, but we did Iron Man Canada and Whistler, but the, both courses are very hilly. Probably should have had Kevin on a year ago yeah, to we get some got advice. His, his advice on that. But I mean, I could say that probably most days that I give Kevin a call or something. But um, so let's go into a bit of injury stuff and experience stuff. Um, sure. So I, I guess one place to start is you know the the this podcast, the Consummate Athlete Idea, is really that that idea that we're trying to condition ourselves to 
you know, do these things that you're talking about, the mountaineering, mountain biking, and, you know, not necessarily specializing in mountain biking, but, you know, not being proficient with our sort of movement skill, but then also, you know, sort of armored against injury. Um, so when you're working with people, what, what can you isolate like a difference or something that people should be doing, uh, as far as their training or, or that they're not doing as part of their training, um, to, to, in the pursuit of this lifestyle or something that you do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I lecture and talk quite a bit and obviously, you know, given my experience, having had the honor to work with some of the world's highest performing athletes and, you know, working with BMC when we won the Tour de France, you know, and, and working a number of different pro sports, you know, injuries are exceptionally prevalent. And the, the biggest thing that it comes down to as far as the most common types of repetitive strain injuries, obviously, you know, if you're not able in a cycling perspective, if you're not able to keep the rubber side down and you end up having a traumatic injury, then, then that, that's the way it is. It happens. You can't do anything to prevent that. Um, other than obviously having certain competency with riding your bike. But when it comes to repetitive strain injuries and, and, and really trying to maintain the health of your body as you pursue higher, higher levels of performance, it really comes down to balancing the equation between preparation and performance. And we are, we are so outcome focused as a society that we want all, we want all the front stage excitement and glory and gratification that we often uh, forget or neglect the backstage that is really, you know, the necessary foundation to make sure that you can perform on the front stage and not hurt yourself. So the majority of people that I see that end up having an injury that's nagging them or, you know, that's keeping them from performing at their best, it's that they have this imbalance between preparation and performance. And most of them want to spend all their time on the performance side and they don't want to do the accessory work. They don't want to do, you know, the kind of the boring backstage things that are going to allow their bodies to be healthier and perform for the long game. And, and that's, that's probably the most prevalent aspect to it because if you look at any injury, any injury that's going to happen, it is a failure of the system to adapt to the demands that were imposed. So really when we're looking at training to improve performance and the ability to work at a higher capacity, you're really trying to you know, gain a higher level of adaptive capacity so that you can increase the level of demand and load that you're applying and not break down. And that's ultimately the kind of quest that people are on as far as the science side of it. It's a bit, it's a bit goes into a bit more detail as you would know, but at the end of the day, any injury that happens, it's that system failed to adapt to the stress or the demands that were applied. And most of that is through what I mentioned earlier and an imbalance in the equation between preparation and performance. And I, I feel like a lot of the information we get comes from that pro tour, from that tour to France, or, you know, the, you, you've worked with professional tennis players, you've worked with all these high level people. Um, but, you know, for the rest of us, you know, the people who have to go to work and have families and stuff, is, is there a difference in, in that preparation, you know, or, or even the injuries that we're susceptible to, right? Like in the tour de France, you know, you're getting this crazy overuse injury, but, for the, the normal people, like, is that, what, what do you see when you're working with someone who's, you know, a normal person who wants to be mountain biking or wants to be road cycling or, or playing tennis? Is there, is there yeah. a difference there? No, the equation would be the same. It's just the context. So what most people uh, may fail to realize is that there's, there's selection bias when you're talking about uh, individuals that compete in the Tour de France, their their bodies and their abilities to perform at that level, you know, they're at the top. They're at the top of the food chain with adaptive capacity, and that's their that's their life, that's their career. So they're constantly focusing on you know either performing or recovery, and it's that constant ebb and flow. For the everyday individual like you and I that want to perform at high levels, but we we have 
we have nine to five jobs. You know, we have different different demands that are imposed on us, like sitting all day. You know, sitting being the new smoking is quite stressful to the body. And then when we do get time to train, because time is somewhat more pinched as far as a resource, often we will just jump right into our workout and boom, pull the throttle down and just let it go. And then often we come to the end of the workout and boom, let go of the throttle and jump in the shower, get changed, go right back to work. And again, that creates this imbalance between performance and preparation. Preparation for somebody that just might be the everyday individual who wants to get better in sport might be, you know, preparing the body as far as some of the small, deeper muscles that help support the posture better so that you aren't stressing the body while you're sitting all day long or making sure that you can fundamentally do certain movement patterns like squatting without any pain or raising your arms up over your head without any pain or looking for any obvious imbalance between one side and the other. And if those things are all clear, then you can, then you can start getting into the performance side. When I'm, when I'm building programs, and it wouldn't matter if it's a professional athlete that I've worked with or, you know, somebody who's just trying to, you know, get themselves in better shape and run their first 5K, my methodology is pretty much the same. I use, I use the 3L approach that I created. The first L is limber. So they start going through activation kind of um, sequences to try to get the muscles working, almost bring the software of the body online so that it's getting itself ready for the second L, which is load. And that's their load phase. It might be load cycling. It might be load playing tennis. It might be load running. It might be load with weights. It might be load with CrossFit. And then the third L is lengthen. So what are they doing to reduce the tension that's built up in some of these key muscles that they've been working quite hard? I mean, you see, if we're sticking with cycling as, as an, an example, you know, obviously you're, you're rounded forward, you're bent forward. All the muscles on the front side of your body are all shortened and all the muscles on the back side of your body are all stressed and you go out and ride hard and have a good have a good workout or a good ride and then you get off your bike and you don't do anything to lengthen out that anterior chain then then you're creating imbalance again and that imbalance is like physical plaque that starts to build up just like if you decided hey you know I'm going to brush my teeth but only on one side Ugh. and you know you're going to get that build up of plaque on one side that you didn't touch even though, you know, you, you're, you're still brushing your teeth only on one side. So it just, it creates that level of imbalance that over time creates uh, an issue for the body's adaptive capacity. So as an example, if we, with the cyclist who's rounded forward, what would be an example of um, an exercise to lengthen? Sure. Well, typically with cyclists, you know, the two best uh, movements to help lengthen out the anterior chain, which basically, you know, when we talk about anterior, we're talking about anything in front. Like if you're looking at yourself in the mirror, everything you see in the mirror is considered anterior. And everything that you can't see when you're looking in the mirror is considered posterior. So two of the best movements would be a stride stretch, which is basically if you take uh, any household chair and put your put your foot up on the chair and have your knee bent and lean your hips so that where your belt buckle would be, lean that part forward towards the chair. You're going to be stretching out the psoas muscle, which is a hip flexor, which is uh, associated a lot with low back pain and knee pain and gets quite, quite tight with things like cycling. That's a great stretch that you would do on both sides. And then the other one would be taking a, a yoga strap or a really long beach towel or a dowel, which is basically a broomstick. And you can take that in your, your hands, on both hands, with a stick in front of you, then raise the stick up over your head and then behind your head 
so that the stick ends up at about the level of your eyes, but behind your head. And you're really reaching your arms out and back, and that will stretch out all through the front part of the chest, the front part of the arms, and really try to uh, take tension off of that shoulder girdle. Those are probably two of two of the easiest to do and most effective stretches to do. And the Feeling Pretty Remarkable apps cover sort of those three sort of things at a, a basic level, right? Like sort of everyday exercises. Yeah, originally I created Feeling Pretty Remarkable FBR as uh, what was initially called functionally progressive rehabilitation, so still FBR. But uh, and it was it was really designed for healthcare uh, professionals to use as a way to provide rehabilitative or active care or movement as medicine approaches uh, in their in their clinical care. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, it, it really didn't get traction in part, and this is, this is something that was expressed to me from a number of healthcare practitioners, unfortunately, was that they were concerned that people w- would get better too quickly. No. And yeah, and that, you know, A, that really pissed me off, and B, it broke my heart all in once. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was very disappointing. So, you know, we decided to to have a bit of a pivot, and and then I thought, you know what, I need to find a way to empower people to take better care of themselves when they don't have access to the right the right avenues or resources. So I then changed the name from functionally progressive rehabilitation to feeling pretty remarkable, and I released those those training programs, which were twelve week long. Um, training programs, a new phase. Um, uh, there's four different phases for each training program. One's for low back, one's for knee, one's for running, one's for for, for golf. Yeah, I, I put those out there to let people have um, some type of structured and systematic way to get them moving more and, and hurting less with the use of exercise. And it went over exceptionally well. Right now, we're in a bit of a transition where I've now pulled those apps off of uh, Apple because we released those programs for such a low price that the constant upgrades and everything that we had to do on Apple, it it just was, it it didn't make sense. So what we're doing now is we're getting them ready to be uh, available on our website and people can access them through the website. And that way they'll still be able to get the content both in video format and also in PDF format to be able to follow along and strengthen their back and core, strengthen their knee, you know, improve their golf, improve running. We even have one for cycling that I did with a, a great, great colleague of mine, Curtis Cramblett, out of, uh, out of the West Coast. Um, he's, he's an amazing practitioner, and we collaborated on, the, on what was going to be the injury-free cycling one. We just haven't put it fully together yet. That's great. Definitely let us know when that comes out. I know uh, several yeah. clients have really enjoyed uh, the the original one was the back pain one, and I know that one definitely was good. And I think right now yeah. is a good time. I'm getting a lot of people sort of psyched on some sort of daily core routine, ten minute sort of thing, and and that would fit right yeah. in there. So uh, definitely yeah. let us know when that comes out. I will for sure. I really like what you said about. I mean, devastated by, but. I'm glad you said the thing about healthcare providers, because what I was going to say I like about you is that when I came to see you and I was very worried about an imbalance, you, you know, looked me over and then, you know, came to the conclusion that I didn't actually have like anything bothering me or actually, you know, problematic. And I didn't need, you know, weekly tune ups or anything. And I definitely know a lot of chiropractors that had given me kind of contrary advice to that. Yeah, um, that didn't seem to really. Yeah, it's be an doing unfortunate anything. aspect. Yeah, it's an unfortunate aspect that that everybody should be involved uh, with understanding that that exists. And ultimately, uh, I, I'm a big, big, big believer that it is your health and your body and your life. Hence, it's your responsibility. And what I mean by that is, I truly believe people need to tap into their own intuition, um, both from listening to their bodies 
and does something feel off and, you know, ignoring signs and symptoms, you know, every time I get out of a chair, I have pain in my knee or every time I wake up in the morning, you know, my back is really sore and I feel pain and tingling going down my leg. These are things that should not be ignored and they should be pursued. The other aspect of that, that intuition is when you go see a healthcare professional, uh, they're not always right. And they're not always looking at your best interests. They sometimes are looking at things through a business lens. So mm-hmm. keep your intuition kind of sensors high. And if something doesn't make sense to you or you're not getting results, then, then trust your intuition. I, I have people all the time come into my practice and tell me that they've been to five or six other practitioners and they've been going to get a certain condition treated for, it could be months. It could be some people I've had, you know, upwards of eight to nine months going and getting care somewhere else with no results. And then ultimately we go through and do an evaluation and a treatment and they come in on a, their very first follow-up and their, their, their symptoms that they originally had that were aggravating them are practically gone. Mm-hmm. So they've, they've invested not just their money to go, they've invested their time, which is you know, more valuable because they'll never get that back. Do you think, Kevin, and you know, I guess this is loaded because you're going into sports psychology or working on that, like you've always impressed me because you have a, a tremendous, I guess, bedside manner or like focus when you're with someone, like you're very with them, you, you have a very calming way about you, uh, a confident way about you when you're dealing, not, not cavalier, but confident in that, like, you know, we're going to get over this. It's true. That's yeah. what I told you after I saw Kevin. And do you think that that's like, it's those tools, things like that, the, the psychology of helping someone through something. Do you think that's what's missing sometimes? Or, or do you think that's what's helped you, I guess, the more positively framed is that's what helped you be successful with these troubling cases, these ones that are going on for so long? You know, I, I think it's a combination. I think that uh, the opportunity to serve others is one of the greatest honors of my life, that having the ability to have a positive influence on other people is probably one of the greatest skills that people can develop. And I believe that at my core. So it, it really has helped drive my intentions around how I work with people and my passion towards wanting to do my best to make sure that I can, I can offer my best. Not that, I, not that I pursue being the best. I don't think there is such a thing in my field. Um, but, but knowing that I'm doing my best, that's definitely attainable. And I've always said to practitioners when they try to come in and shadow with me and figure out how to develop their own path to success, and they're asking me, you know, what technique is the best or what practitioner is the best? And I always tell them that one of the most valuable tools that I use in my clinical practice is education and, and talking with my patients and explaining to them what's going on, not in a way that is manipulative or tries to incite fear, which is unfortunately uh, often used out there as far as, you know, here's your back and, or here's your knee and see all this red stuff. It's all inflammation and they're showing models of tears and rips and blood and, and trying to create fear so that that patient will, you know, sign up for X number of treatments. But using education that helps them understand what pain is and what it isn't. Because a lot of times, if you learn to use your mind to control your brain and understand pain, then, then you can, you can really gain control over that yourself. And the practitioner just becomes somebody that facilitates that, not somebody that's responsible for you living a life without pain. Because you don't, you don't want to give that responsibility away. Yeah, it's definitely the, the frequency that people get told, you know, they have some, I'm trying to think of like good things, but like SI joints out and leg length leg discrepancies leg, yeah. <laughs> and things like this. And yeah. the mind just goes berserk with that. Like, you know, the, yeah, absolutely. But, and listen, there, there are a lot of those things. I mean, I see every day, I mean, leg length issues can be a big issue or, you know, other aspects of joint fixations. I, I mean, I've been a chiropractor, but I've, I've, I've 
practiced a very diversified approach. But I can tell you, I've had some patients that have come into my office and they, I've thrown everything at them, all of my skills, all my techniques, and nothing has helped. And then I go and do a traditional chiropractic adjustment and then almost instantaneously they're better. And it's an immensely powerful tool if, like any tool, if it's used properly. And there's a difference between you know, individuals being told that they have something wrong and that they have to come in in this passive kind of based approach to care that, that we have where, oh, you got to come in X number of times and don't worry, let me do everything. And, oh, you can't exercise until this gets better. You know, that, that has problems in and of itself. And then it's also uh, on the side of the patient or the, the person that's getting this advice. It's a natural tendency for humans to to think negative thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Or to think about worst case scenario. It's an evolutionary trend that has allowed humans to remain alive on earth, right? We, we naturally think about the worst thing or we naturally think negative thoughts and hence it's not negative thoughts that's the problem. Most times, you know, the biggest problem is that people think they shouldn't have any negative thoughts and then they beat themselves up when they do. The problem is when you attach yourself too much to that negative thought, like, oh, I was told I have a leg length inequality and, you know, now I can't be, now I can't be an awesome athlete because I've got this and it's, you know, I'm, I'm broken, right? Or, you know, I'm always going to have this pain. It's, it's never going to go away and it's going to be the rest of my life. And then they start catastrophizing and, and ultimately they create a, you know, a self-fulfilling vicious cycle. So it's, it is important when working with patients and not that I'm advocating every practitioner go out and, you know, uh, start delving into uh, trying to be a psychologist, but you can easily uh, help somebody comfort their minds without crossing the line of being a psychologist. And I think that's a very valuable part of practice because most people will have a tendency to think of the worst case scenario or those negative thoughts when they think something's wrong. That makes a lot of sense. Um, as far as other factors, where are you at as far as like diet and, and weight loss? Um, I guess in terms of these regular people, um, you know, they come in and they're trying to, you know, like you say, get, get more active, get fit and stuff. If someone does have a, you know, that 20, 30 pounds to lose, um, do, do you, where do you start with people? Uh, you know, I do see that quite a bit uh, as far as individual nutritional-based coaching and counseling I do, but I also see it as a part of my larger framework of high-performance life coaching that I do with feeling pretty remarkable. Um, obviously, one of the pillars of, of living a, a truly successful life is feeling your best in life, and nutrition plays a fundamental role in that. I, I try to work individually with people uh, on the the nuts and bolts of nutrition as far as the logical components of it, as far as, you know, you have to take in a certain amount of food and, and some foods are better than others. But if you have somebody that's struggling with weight, uh, it's it's very common for people to try to use a logical solution for what is an emotional problem. And when that happens, those individuals are rarely successful at losing the weight and they're definitely uh, rarely successful at keeping it off. So I try to assess, you know, where is the individual's mindset around what that weight means to them and what losing the weight means to them so that you can go a layer deeper between the tactical how-to and really discover, you know, the why. Why is it important for them to lose that weight? Because that's what's going to help them get through, you know, the honeymoon phase of dropping a few pounds by rapidly altering their diet and get them into more long-term, sustainable lifestyle nutrition. Not these, I'm going to juice for a week and, and try to drop X amount of pounds or, you know, do other things that are potentially harmful to their health. I try to get at the, the behavioral and belief component of, of, of the issue at hand and try to build a, a solution around that. 
Okay, that's a great answer. Um, you've worked with a lot of pros in your days. These are easier questions, I think, now we'll probably finish with. But um, whether you've worked with them or not, who's like the most impressive athlete you've ever you've ever seen, like in person? You've been to Tour de France and the like tennis stuff and all these high-end competitions. Like who's impressed you just with like how athletic they were? Uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a, that's a very good question. And there's a number of different answers to that, uh, as far as the different dimensions of athletes that I've worked with and, uh, and how I've been so impressed. You know, I see, I see individuals that have struggled immensely uh, with, you know, physical ailments and mental ailments, put themselves out there on the stage of athletic performance and you see them crossing the finish line, you know, kids doing triathlons with cerebral palsy. I mean, that kind of stuff blows me away, and it, and it just fills my heart with joy to to see that. From mm -hmm. a professional athlete, um, you know, or you look at, um, in the triathlon world, uh, the, the Hoyt family. Um, I think that's the name, where the father took the son oh. around all of yeah, there's a couple different I mean, that, families that are doing that. I actually like just I, interviewed one of them, and I can't think of his name. Darn it. Yeah, I mean that kind of stuff. I I love that stuff. I mm -hmm. love I love I love stories of human ambition. I love that stuff. I could eat that stuff up all day long. On the professional scale, uh, you know, I've had again the honor to work with a number of different athletes. Uh, most of which, given where I was in my career, I had the ability to choose who I want to work with or not. And I've, I've always been somebody who's been authentic to wanting to work with people that I feel um, that I can help them and that they're, they're nice people. So I don't, <laughs> have too, I don't have too many stories of, of having to work with people that weren't nice. But I can tell you that I, I have immense respect immense respect for emily batty as an athlete mm -hmm. because you know a she is so damn nice and she is such a great you know everyday role model for people of, of all kinds not just you know not just girls because she's a girl but it's in, and i'm biased towards that now i have two young girls but but she's such an incredible role model for being nice and being humble. But on top of that, what it took for her to race in the London Olympics with a broken shoulder, to race mountain bike racing with a broken shoulder, I will forever be in her camp. Like that's the kind of stuff that is an instant life lifetime membership into the Kevin Jardine uh, loyalty <laughs> club. Like I'm, I will do whatever I can to help her pursue her goal because of things like that. That stuff for me is, is just incredible. The other athlete that, that I'll mention two because they've had a profound impact on me and, and I still remain in contact with them and they are exceptional people. And that's, that's, a, that's an important thing for me because I think for a lot of these athletes, it's much more important to focus on who they become in the process than, than the accolades, so to speak, of their results. Obviously, you know, the individuals I'm going to mention have immense results, but there are other individuals out there who, who have had better results. But I think these people that I'm going to mention are, are exceptional because they're exceptional people. And one of them is George Hincapi, who is an A-class person. I, I love George Hincapi. He is he's amazing. He's an exceptional guy. And Simon Whitfield. I think Simon is, again, an exceptional individual, uh, dedicated family man, which I highly respect. Mm -hmm. and, and both, he, both are you know, businessmen too both have businesses and on the both side. are both are businessmen now i mean they they've 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 accepted you know life after athletics they didn't get wrapped up with the 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 pitfall that a lot of athletes do where they wrap their entire identity up into who they are as an athlete you know they they were successful at transitioning from pro pro athletics so those two individuals for me 
I, I love. I think they're I think they're phenomenal, phenomenal people. I think I think from a from an athlete and business perspective, you know, I would I would mention one individual, and I know he's comfortable. Normally, you know, in most of the individuals I work with like a certain amount of of uh, confidentiality uh, because of of their status. But this individual, he's probably one of Canada's youngest, if not the youngest, uh, billionaire in Canada, exceptionally successful uh, entrepreneur, built you know the third largest toy company in the world. Um, and he he is an exceptional individual in that he's done so well in business and he pursues a high level of personal performance, his sport being tennis, you know, pursuing winning his his club championships, um, playing with, you know, individuals that have played at professional levels. And he's balancing that while also still being a dedicated and devoted family guy with an with an amazing family. So I have a lot of respect for him as well. And it's been an absolute honor to work with individuals like that. Awesome. Awesome ones. And we'll link to your featured in one of the Emily Batty videos, the ambitions videos, I believe. Mm-hmm. If I remember. Yeah, yeah. Two, two of them. I can't remember oh, which okay. one. But uh, I'll, I'll go through and suss it out. Yeah. I just saw her yesterday. Yeah. She's awesome. I did a ride. Um, and it's, it's amazing. Like she is quite fast and quite technically good, but like you say, very like genuine, like I know them quite well and yeah, she's pretty awesome. Yeah. Just super nice. We're trying to get her and Adam on the the podcast eventually, but so consider but, this the shout out, I guess. Well, I mean, I've told them, but mm-hmm. they're busy. They're busy. Um, yeah. So we like to always ask: Do you know? You know, you've met all these athletes. Do you, can you think of a good consummate athlete, or or it could be another practitioner that you think would be a, a good guest? You know, um, yeah. I mean, I, I would I would reach out to Ryan Atkins and his wife. We've actually had both of them. They so were this is the first our... time that we've got a, a repeat. But yeah, you, you, go we us. do Lindsay just won, I think, the the twenty four one, didn't she? Spartan World. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. Ryan did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're like, awesome. They, we they're... do. We we wanted to do one where we had them in person though, so we'll we'll try and nail them down for another one. Yeah. I think I think they're phenomenal. That would be one recommendation. The other one and you know, obviously I'm biased because I've worked with them for over ten years, but if you're looking for an A-class individual uh, that is an exceptionally gifted athlete as well, uh, I would I would try to get my partner at Urban Athlete, uh, Bill Wells, on there. He's competed at the highest level for adventure racing in Canada. He has competed at very high levels in triathlon uh, and and Ironman, going to uh, going to Kona. He now competes. Uh, in the master's level track. So I know that they've won a, a number of levels uh, or a number of um, competitions on the, on, on being a, a track athlete. And he's, he's just, he's an exceptionally like I have, and when I mentioned on athletics, I have to work at it. I'm built like a, like a tank. So, you know, even if I don't work at it and I look at a weight, I grow and <laughs> It's hard for me, like when I go running with these guys and run the rim to rim, or even go mountain biking. You know, I got to. I'm 182 pounds, so I got to carry all of that around, and and I have to work at it. You know, a big engine's not my, my not my natural gift. Having good strength and stuff probably would be, but when I go with with Bill, I know we used to go mountain running and and doing some training stuff down in Arizona, or even skate skiing. I see him for about two minutes and then he's gone, like <laughs> gone. He's he got, he's got five extra. Too, right? Yeah. He's got five extra gears than I do, but he would, he would be, you know, excellent for that. Uh, and, uh, I think he would really add some value. Okay. And last question. Um, if there was a book or two that you would say like have been sort of pivotal in your development as a person or a, or a practitioner, um, you know, if I wanted to be more like Kevin Jardine, is there a book or two that you, you really, that comes to mind? <laughs> a book or two. You're talking to more probably like 20. the all, yeah, you're talking to the all time highest 
higher on Amazon. Um, <laughs> I have I have easily close to fifty grand in books. It's my it's books and bicycles are my my big weakness or, or anything gear I should say. It's not even just bicycles anymore. I just uh, I got a new ice axe and I'm like I want to sleep with it in my bed. <laughs> so my wife obviously she opposes that idea, seems, but I, I love gear. Yeah, you're talking to somebody who just scrolls randomly the Mountain Equipment Co-op website just because I, I love looking at the stuff. Mm-hmm. It's uh, pretty awesome. addictive. Yeah. But, but, yeah, with books, you know, there's so many amazing books, and, and it's so individual, and I think they are the greatest, greatest value out there as far as what you can, what you can get from a book and what you pay. Um, but I think, I think if I had to name... A couple. There's there's been a couple of, of good ones that I've really enjoyed. Um, I think that uh, the happiness equation was really good. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are looking for uh, more happiness in their lives. I think if you if you have the uh, the tendency to kind of want to read shorter things and get insights from other people across. A wider spectrum, both from a performance and and life hacking kind of way. I think that Tim Ferriss's Tool of Titans is a really good book for that. A lot of people seem to have a challenge with reading books from front to back now, mm-hmm. so that one's more more bite size. You know, you can you can keep it in the washroom and read one <laughs> chapter. You know, like or one little one one piece of advice from you know individuals who are in, in, incredibly successful yeah a lot in of their people lives. seem to like that one yeah i know that you know the 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 other side of it the the, the mindset side uh, i think that a, a book called the untethered soul is is really good and the basic premise is that you are not your thoughts that there exists this this opportunity to be a witness of your thoughts. So that I find really helps people and empowers them to to know that their thoughts don't represent who they are. And it allows them to gain a better relationship with with things like negative thoughts, which helps them gain more power over stress and anxiety and things like that. So that's that's a very good book. That's awesome. Those are three great recommendations. Um, yeah. So we're getting close to our hour here, so we'll definitely let you go so that you, I'm sure you have a, a one o'clock probably pending. Um, so feelingprettyremarkable.com. Is there any other spots? I know you don't do a ton of social media stuff, but is there anything else you want to sort of give a shout out to otherwise? I think that's it. You know, social media for me has always been a challenge because I'm not really a social guy. Um, and I, <laughs> I mean, since, I think it's a testament, I've, though, on that focus. Like, I don't know. I've been really pondering a bunch of stuff lately, and really been sort of like curtailing oh, a bunch. Don't go on your rant about Instagram. I, Kevin does it. Uh, Kevin does well, it. Well, actually, uh, yeah. Listen, when I sold those four other companies, which were heavily uh, dependent on social media to gain awareness and stuff, you know, I really took a break from social media, and it is something that has had a big impact. And I just. Two weeks ago, I spent the um, five days down in Jamaica with um, Wim Hof being, you know, one of the people, and then um, Stephen um, um, Cotter from he's written the book Superhuman yeah. and Stealing Fire, yeah. and it all it's all centered around flow and being in that state of flow and how you can achieve your best. And one of his biggest recommendations is deleting all of your social media apps. Right. Well, <laughs> I know you may not want to hear that, but I, it, I, uh, I'm all on it. Molly's not so much, but <laughs> it's my <No>. job. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. And I get that. And for some people that's, you know, it is their job. So it, it has to be a part of their, a part of their strategy. Right. For me, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably going to get more back into social media, probably um, Facebook because of the, the, the group that I'm trying to reconnect with as I start to build feeling pretty remarkable sure. um, kind of out in a larger larger way but. Mm-hmm. 
Alrighty, Kevin. But I'm not a social guy, so it makes it hard. <laughs> I, I hear that 100%. Thank you for your time. I owe you a mountain bike session, so we'll connect in March, hopefully when the weather's better. I'm down every weekend, yeah. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so we'll definitely connect for that. I'll also have I to definitely send. want to do that. Yes. I and need I need some send. advice on a potential bike that I want to get oh, for, boy. you oh, know, any, if I was... Anytime. We can jump on the phone. Yeah, if I was going to do, like, BC Bike Race or, you know, something big like that, like, I need I need some advice on what to, what to get. Because I'm getting conflicting information out there as far as, you know, getting 150 mil travel or just sticking with 130. And, right. You know, it's, so, it's tricky. Yeah, we'll, it's, it's a tricky thing. There's like all those bikes and they're all sort of similar. So it sort of depends on oh, your yeah. goal, but yeah, you can definitely do like dropper posts with like an XC dually and then it's pretty yeah. capable or you can go like more like a five inch and it's just a titch heavier, but it's way more fun. So yeah, like I've been looking at some of the pivot bikes and some of the intense bikes, but it, it it's been you know, it's been getting more and more confusing out there. Like I just got a mm-hmm. new cross bike, but the whole, you know, what's a cross bike and what's a gravel road bike yeah, and what's, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy. just like, and my road crazy. bike, like, like I, I have a I Demone do a with disc. In that. I have a Demone <laughs> disc and it's basically the exact same as the cross bike and it, it makes no yeah. sense, but yeah. yeah anytime. Yeah. All we'll right, also buddy. have to send you some shred girls stuff oh, for your for girls. Your yeah. Molly's latest book. Yeah. Thank you so awesome. much, Kevin. And we'll have to, we'll have to touch base soon. Thanks so much for listening to the consummate athlete podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.